Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Soda Pop Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 11, and we have actually two very special guests with us today. We have, of course, the wonderful Dr. Brown, and then we also have the always amazing Dr. Bibby with us today. How are you doing, Dr. Bibby? I'm doing very well. How are you? I am doing great. It's a wonderful Friday. It's actually really beautiful outside, so it's not cold or anything, so it's great. How are you doing, Dr. Brown? I'm doing really well. I, I, you're right. I think the weather's beautiful, so you can't be sad. All right. So I always like to ask our guests when we have them on, um, and Dr. Brown has gone through this a couple times already. So Dr. Bibby, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do at the university, and uh, how long you've been around, and all, all that good stuff. All that good stuff. Okay. Well, I'm Jeffrey Bibby. I'm a professor in the Department of History, and I'm an associate dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. Uh, I came to UNA in 2008, so this is my 12th year here, and I was really fortunate. I started here as a a visiting uh, assistant professor and got a tenure-track job and have stayed. I teach British history, and I work with the history education program. So as the only British historian, I like to explain it that I teach everything from Magna Carta to Margaret Thatcher. So a little bit of, uh, but I've been in the dean's office now. I came over here last year as the interim associate dean when Dean Baird was serving as the interim dean. Uh, and then I've stayed on here in a permanent position that started in July. So as you said, you're kind of new to the position. You've been there for a short amount of time. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do in that position and, and the importance of it in the department? Well, uh, associate deans, our primary function is to support the dean. So the dean is is the chief academic officer for the college, responsible for the faculty, the students, the academic progress. So our job is really to help her do her job. A lot of what I work with are the financial issues of the college. So when you're dealing with everything from paying faculty to reimbursing travel, uh, today was a great day for us. We got to support student research and creative activity in the college. Uh, so we were able to authorize significant uh, outlays to students to help support the, the work that they're doing with their faculty mentors. I'm also involved a lot with student recruitment and retention. Uh, I work on issues related to diversity and inclusion. That also includes Title IX uh, issues in the college. Uh, and then really anything else the dean asked me to be a part of. Uh, and then I also have teaching responsibilities. So I'm still a member of the history department. I still teach classes. Uh, and I'm also this semester teaching an FYE course. Yeah, that's really that's really cool. Actually, you do you do a lot of stuff, and that's <laughs> that's really cool. And I know um, I appreciated this as being a part of housing as well. But in the during move-ins, you were driving around giving snacks and waters and everything. You literally would you had the happiest attitude, and it just made the days a lot better. So, <laughs> well, it's always really easy when you're giving away free stuff. People like to see you, so that that always makes it a little bit easier. But that's very yeah. true. It, it's also a, that's a great part of the job is I get to help represent the college with different people. I get to reach out and meet students from across the campus. I mean, I love my students in history. Don't get me wrong, but it's great actually to get to work with students across the university. And as the largest college at UNA, that makes it fortunate we get to see a lot of people. We also support most of the general education courses. So I always kind of like to think every UNA student is really a College of Arts and Sciences student. Okay, so I have one, one last final question for me. Um, this one is, is kind of a fun question. We asked the same thing to, uh, 
to Dean Burkhalter. So what is your favorite dance move? What is your go-to dance move that you always go to? Well, I kind of, you know, this is an interesting question because there's kind of two ways for me to answer it. First thing I want to do is I'm going to confess something. I spent four years in my high school show choir, so I have some amazing dance moves. Um, it, and if my mother dug out the pictures and video, she could thoroughly embarrass me with those dance moves. But um, if I'm out with friends, uh, I have a tendency to be the person who's kind of hanging out on the, the side of the dance floor, watching the rest of the crowd. So I'm a little bit of the head bop, shoulder action kind of dancer. Bent elbows. So it, it's enough, though, to, to get the attention that I need. I mean, whatever works, works. Absolutely. Somebody's got to be the one giving everybody else the opportunity to shine. And that's what I like to do on a dance floor. All right. So that's my final question. So I'm just going to kind of step aside. I'm going to turn off my camera and kind of let Dr. Brown have his section of, of this episode now. So um, I'll be back towards the end. But for now, take it away, Dr. Brown. All right, please know that Dr. Bibby, you are not allowed to sign a waiver during this portion. That any questions that I ask during this time, you have to answer to the best of your knowledge, fairly and truthfully, even if it means that um, you put you in a compromising situation. Do you agree? Okay, good, let's move on. <laughs> so um, I know for a fact that you have a passion for students and I know that everything that you do in your job you do it, I'm sorry, I get a little emotional and choked up with it because I know what you give to the students and that when Mark mentioned earlier about you driving around in the golf carts, I know that for a fact because we talked when you were on a golf cart stop there waiting for students. And I, and I remember my question comes say, you don't have to do that. And you said, I know I don't, but I want to because these students need to feel cared for at this moment. And that line made me realize that the position that you're in is not disconnected from student life and that you know that the reason you're here are for those students. So with that, I also know that your big thing for you is study abroad and experiential learning. Can you tell me about uh, your passion for that? Well, first off, thanks for the, the very kind comments. And uh, you know, it's easy to care about students when you have colleagues that also care. So we, we all do that together. And that, that's, I think, one of the best parts about working at UNA. One of the other things I think that's made my time here and you know, sharing that I've been here since 2008 is that I was given an opportunity very early on when I joined the history department to be involved in creating a study abroad program to London. I was an international student as a, as a doctoral candidate. I did my PhD overseas. And for me traveling, and it's something I even did as a, as a kid, my dad was in the army uh, when I was very young. And then when he left uh, the army for civilian life, we were transferred several times. And But my parents always had a passion for traveling. They always made us, as we used to, to complain sometimes as kids, my brother and sister and I, that we always had to go on learning trips. We never got to go to the beach like regular families. We always had to go to national parks in Washington, D.C. And, and historic sites. Well, I realize now that that's where I learned. You know, I was, I was very fortunate. I had great teachers growing up that cared deeply and, and opened my eyes to so many things. But where I really learned was standing in you know, Washington, D.C. and seeing physically the branches of government and going, there's the Capitol building. And that's where my congressman works. And that's how this system of government functions. And seeing the White House and doing the same thing. 
And so as a kid, I traveled and I realized if that's the way I learned, then I can guarantee you other people learn that way. So that's where, you know, my personal interest in study abroad and experiential learning really began because it, it was my own way to learn. London, I've always kind of said, is the gateway. If, if you can go to London, you can go anywhere in the world because uh, it, it's still uh, accessible to us through our own exposure to London, through television and films and through the media. Uh, we speak the same language, so we have a certain comfort level, but it is a foreign country. It's a foreign culture. It's a different place. So you feel eased into it with the language bridge that exists, but then you realize very quickly you've gone into a different world. And so it's kind of say, if I can get students to London, I can get them to go anywhere. But seeing things, experiencing things, touching things, immersing yourself in a different culture, even for that matter, just immersing yourself in a different workplace, you know, doing a co-op job or an internship right here in Florence is such an amazing learning opportunity because that's where we start to see things be applied. Uh, it's where we get to see how things relate to each other. You know, our classrooms are amazing places, but they're very much a controlled environment. And once we get out of that and the, the wheels sometimes can come off the wagon or all of a sudden you realize it's rolling really fast down the hill, um, but that's where we learn. So absolutely, that's it's my favorite thing to do. I've told you a million times, study abroad is my favorite teaching that I do at UNA. Uh, I've, I've convinced Dean Baird that I, I can't give it up and she's <laughs> going to continue to support me doing that. Uh, in this role, but yeah, it's it's the very best learning we get to do. And, I, and I really like how you talked about cultural immersion because I think it's something that we don't harp enough in this country. Um, I, I, as being a singer, I get to travel around to different places, and when I work with different people, I experience different cultures. Say, for instance, um, we went to um, the beach. Well, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, was that Jeffrey? I think a couple weeks ago, and there. Yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago. And there was a French family in the Publix. And I, and, you know, I have my mask on and I know they probably thought I was crazy, but I was walking and following them around, listening to them converse to each other in French. So for about 20 minutes, I realized I was just following them in the store kind of creepily. But, um, but during that time, I, you know, singing in the French language, I, I picked up a lot of things and I noticed some, some things in my own singing that I could do that was different from um, syllabic spoken French to lyric singing. And there's some things that I really thought that's heard them enunciate that I really wanted to borrow from their conversation. So I agree that you, when, when you have someone who submerses themselves in the culture, in the language, that is the most experiential part of learning. And it's the best part of learning to me. Um, that also links to me when we talk about diversity. And we know that UNA now has a a whole new Office of Diversity and Inclusion. We have a, a whole new statement on diversity. We have signage outside of Norton Auditorium and other places promoting diversity and stating about our buildings and how we know that some of them may have racist or derogatory terms or, or linked to people who are associated with that. And that we're trying to, to know that we don't support that or condone that, but as an institution, we're evaluating the best steps to move forward collectively. Can you talk to us a little bit about the role of the university in promoting diversity, not with the, just within the walls, but how we can act as a transformative agent to the community? Well, uh, you know, one thing I've always liked to say to my first year students, uh, and anytime I go talk to students at a high school is, 
a university is probably going to be the one time in your life where you'll be exposed to the greatest number of differences ever. Hmm. Uh, you'll meet people from the most uh, backgrounds, uh, language groups, religious communities, ethnic groups, uh, you know, gender, sexual orientation, geography, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. There's more diversity on a college campus than virtually any other place will be in our lifetime. So one thing that's critical is we have to embrace that. We have to see that as something that is exciting and challenging. It pushes us often out of our comfort zones. It puts us in places where we have to try to understand other cultures as well as try to understand our own culture mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes explain ourselves or sometimes pull back from our own cultural biases and experiences to open ourselves to other places. But I think our job as a university is to model that experience for an entire community and to understand that the walls between the university and the community are not solid. They're very, very porous. And ideas move between these two worlds. People move between these two worlds. Experiences move between these two worlds in a way that, that's often hard for us to always remember and realize when we're immersed in it on a daily basis. Hmm. So as a university, yes, we're here to model that. We're also here to be a place where ideas can be shared and explored with safety uh, and with respect. And again, that's part of modeling that to the rest of our community. But this is a place where we can talk about stuff. And sometimes we got to talk about messy things. Sometimes we have to talk about controversial things. Sometimes we have to talk about challenging and difficult things that, that can be hard on us as individuals, things that require us to question our experiences and our beliefs, uh, things that require us to um, explain and defend those same things. Uh, and so I think if we can show how that's done, then we have a better chance of that occurring in, in the broader community. And this is where, you know, one of the things that, that Dr. Kitts says at the end of every graduation, and it's one of my favorite things he says, is take UNA with you. Well, this idea of being in a diverse and an inclusive environment is something that we have to take beyond the university ourselves. We get to experience it while we're here, but we need to continue to seek it out once we leave the university confines, especially as students moving on to graduate. But even for us as faculty and staff members, when we leave the university, we're, we're going out into a broader community and we need to take that open-mindedness we need to take that, that desire for inclusion, and we need to take the excitement that diversity brings to our lives out into the world around us. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that you hit the nail on your head when you talk about that taking that whole conversation that we have within the walls with us is, is integral part of teaching our students that that what we do here is not just educate them on the academic side, we, we educate them on how to be better people. And, and, and I think that's the one thing about, not the one, but one of the major points of being working at UNA is that I have always found that our professors here really teach our students how to be better people. And that's something I think if we, if we really want to say that's our story, I know President Kids talk about that, you know, we have a story, take the story of UNA, it's a hidden story. That is our story, is that we really do reach our students to be better people. And we do that because we model it. We do it by going to, to take snacks and water to parents. We do that by bringing students in and advising who, who's been out for many years and come in and say, hey, come talk to me. 
let me let me let me help you out or or what can I do to help you? Let me listen to you. Um, we do that by having students who are, are afraid and you just saying, you know, I know that you're afraid of this situation. I know that may be a difficult time for you, but I'm here for you. Let me put you in touch with others who can help you. Let me put you in touch with the community. And I think that's the real story of diversity. It's not cramming beliefs down other people's throats. It's letting them feel a part of the community and listening to their story. Absolutely. It, it, you know, I had a professor in college that said something very, very powerful to me. And he said that ideas and thoughts only have value when they're expressed and they lead to action. Hmm. And, and that to me is kind of at the heart of diversity and inclusion as, as a concept is it, it, we can talk about it all day long, but unless we act, unless we express ourselves, unless we take it into our communities, we live it, then it's, it's just talk. And, and it really doesn't have any tangible benefit. Uh, and I think you're right. I mean, I, I point to, to our colleagues, especially in arts and sciences, but across the entire university, they live their lives every day, not in a vacuum. Um, you, you don't become a college professor uh, as a job. It's, it's really a calling. And so it permeates everything you do. And so from your classroom experience to advising, to mentoring, to your research, to your service to the institution or to the broader academic community, it also is how you comport yourself when you're walking down Court Street yeah. or how you engage with community groups and volunteer organizations or your church. Uh, it all, that's, it, it's all part of, of who you are as an individual. And I do think that's something I have personally tried to make a, a core value for me in my career is that I've got to model that holistically for my students and, and hope that they see that as something that they can do themselves. Agree. Um, well, I want, before we, we wrap up and Mark takes over, I want to have you an opportunity to, to say something that you would like to say to our audience, our Soda Pop audience. We have an ever-growing listener base, thanks to Ms. Collier and Mark and um, Selena and Tyler, they really worked hard to get to spread soda pop around. And we want you to be able to say, this is your platform, Dr. Bibby. Tell the world what you would like to let them know. Give us some parting knowledge. Well, first off, this, this soda pop podcast is, is one of my favorite things we have at UNA. And, and as you asked about my personal passion for study abroad and experiential learning, I mean, talk about experiential learning right here. So everybody who's involved and this faculty, staff, and students. I mean, you just do such an amazing job learning and expressing yourselves. Um, I am not an artist. Uh, I think I always wanted to be one, but I have a, a great appreciation for the arts. But I, I think the biggest thing that, that I want to share with people is that everybody is ultimately creative in their own way. And through Soda Pop or through visiting one of our galleries on campus, listening to videos from the symphony or the band, uh, going to one of the theatrical performances, whether this year online or face-to-face, -face, uh, our outstanding opera program, uh, be creative. Surround yourself with creative people, uh, explore your own creativity, uh, pick up a paintbrush, sit at the piano, uh, sing in the shower, Wherever you choose to be creative and to express yourself, do it. Don't be afraid to do it. And, and I think that's even more critical in the times in which we live, because as a university, we're about to return to remote learning. And so we're going to be dispersed. But, you know, even if we're physically dispersed, that doesn't mean we cease to be a learning community or a family. 
Uh, and so finding ways that we can connect with each other and often our creativity is the way we can do that. Um, whether it's our culinary students, you know, baking cookies and taking them to families in their neighborhood or visiting a nursing home uh, and sharing things with, uh, with the guests there. Just find ways to be creative, find ways to be connected. Yeah, well, thank you, Mark. I'm gonna let you take it away. And um, thank you so much, Dr. Bibby, for being on with us today. And thank you, Dr. Brady. Yes, I wanna, I wanna thank you as well, Dr. Bibby, for being on. Uh, this episode is, is a little bit shorter. It's not necessarily short, short, but uh, that doesn't take away from the content and the knowledge that was expressed through it. And uh, I really wanna thank you for, for allowing us to talk to you on here. Absolutely, my pleasure. I also want to thank Dr. Brown. He he was always great when he's when he's on. We love having him on. He has a very busy schedule, so I'm glad that he was able to make time to do this episode as well. I know he really wanted to be able to talk with you. So thanks to him. Um, as for Soda Pop, follow us on all of our social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, send us an email at arts at una.edu. If you have any questions, any uh, suggestions on episodes to do in the future or any just have any concerns or anything about our about our podcast email us at arts una um, once again thank you dr Bibby, and um, i think that's going to do it for us on this episode of set of pops thank you guys for listening or watching whichever you're doing um, but y'all have a great rest of your day thank you hey guys make sure to check out all of our social medias Feel free to send us your feedback at arts at una.edu or through the DMs of any of our social media. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you in the future. This podcast has been brought to you by UNA School of the Arts. Executive producer is Mark Gallegos, co-produced by Selena Fugate and Tyler Hankins. Special thanks to Dr. Terrence Brown and the entire SOTA staff.